Let's all stand together at this time. We're going to be looking in Psalm 147 this morning, uh, reading just the first verse of this great Hebrew hymn, uh, Psalm 147. Praise is beautiful. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is beautiful. And may God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. <clears throat> praise is beautiful. You know, prayer is primarily an act of making requests to God, seeking a response from Him. It's always good for us to notice that the Bible gives us liberty to pray about anything. Uh, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. A good rule of thumb is if it's big enough to worry about, if it causes you concern, it's big enough to pray about. God said don't worry, uh, instead pray and pray. So we're given liberty then to pray about anything. And I don't want to do anything this morning to diminish the importance of prayer. Prayer is a lifeline of the Christian life. It is essential, important. We have to have it. But as much as the Bible says about prayer and as much as the Bible emphasizes prayer, the word for praise in all of its forms is found almost twice as much in the Bible as the words for prayer in all of its forms. The Bible never tells us we are created to pray. But the Bible does tell us we're created to praise. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. When we praise God, we remove our focus from ourselves, from what is me and mine, what concerns me, what I'm doing. And instead we begin to focus on God, who He is, what is His? What He is doing. And when we begin, begin to think of the works of God, His works praise Him. We could back up just a few uh, numbers in the Hebrew hymnal to Psalm 145, verse 3. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you stars of light. Praise Him, you heavens of heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded, and they were created. You like the ocean? A lot of people do. They're down there today. Uh, praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures, and all the depths, fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind fulfilling His word, mountains and all hills, fruitful trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things, and flying fowl. They all praise God. They're all His works. They were all created for Him, for His glory, and for His honor. They are and were created. Praise is beautiful. But it's often contrasted in Scripture, and rightly so, with the profanity that uses God's name as a curse. It is hideous. It's awful. You know, if a person steals, and they never should steal, but if they steal, they at least get whatever it is they've stolen. They commit adultery, and they should never commit adultery, but at least they get that moment of sinful pleasure to go along with a lifetime of remorse and regret. 
But when a person uses God's name in profanity, all they get is judgment. You get no benefit whatsoever, none. Only judgment. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Oh, but so many have said over the years, I've heard it again and again. Oh, preacher, it's just a bad habit. I don't mean anything about it. Uh, that condemns. That condemns even more. If you can use God's name as a curse and it mean nothing to you, that says a lot. Because I can assure you, it means much to God. If that's a habit, please break it. Please. So if to use God's name as profanity is hideous and awful, and it is, shouldn't surprise us that the Bible says praise is beautiful. Praise is beautiful. Then there, as we'll go on in the psalm today, we'll see numerous reasons why that the praise of God is not only beautiful, but it has powerful effects on us and on other people. And the first thing that he tells us is that praise gathers God's people. Verse 1, praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is beautiful. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcast of Israel. So God declares that the praise of God will build up Jerusalem and gather together His people, even those who are outcast. We remember that in the Old Testament economy, when this psalm was written, Jerusalem was the primary worship center for God's people. When they gathered together for their great feasts and festivals, the hills of Zion would echo with the praises of God's people. And of all the things that Israel was famous for, they were perhaps most famous for their song, the beautiful songs of Zion. So much so that when their captors, the Babylonians, carried them out of the land of Israel and brought them to the river of Shebar, the Bible says in Psalm 137 and verse 1, There we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our hearts upon the willows in the midst thereof. For there they that carried us away captive required of us a song. And they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. And they responded, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? I'd love to preach from that passage this morning, but all we have time to really see is that they were famous for their song. Even their enemies, even their enemies wanted to hear the music of the hills of Zion, the song of God's people. Songs of praise, you see, are a part of our heart language. When you're raised up in church, you learn the songs of God's people as a child. While you're learning your ABCs and one, two, threes, while you're learning uh, what is round and what is square and what is blue and what is orange. You are also learning this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. While you're hearing that, you're also learning on a hill far away that was an old rugged cross. You're also learning the hymns, the songs, and they become as much a part of the language of your song as clouds and trees and grass and dog and cat. 
They're ingrained in your heart. So in the Old Testament as well. That's why that God says in this passage that not only would praise reverberate around the hills of Zion and be beautiful, but they would also call even to the outcasts of Israel. There would be those of God's people, though they were raised in their praise, there would be those who along the way would fall into error. There would be those along the way who would turn away from God. There would be those along the way who might even grow angry at God and even resist God, some who might even declare that they don't believe in God anymore. But in their heart, in their heart of hearts, God's song, the songs of Zion, are still there. I've marveled over the years in preaching funerals. I've seen it again and again and again. People that I knew that had rejected God and turned away from God and rejected the church, people that I knew had not been in church for years. And yet let that hymn, hymn singer get up and start singing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. People who may in their heart, their mind, they said, I've rejected God, but I'd see God's song on their lips and on their faces. The songs call even to the outcast, he said, of Israel. And he gathers them together to hear the song. God created our ear for music. And when he did, he gave it a direct window to our soul. There are people maybe who come into a church service and they come in, they're very skeptical of me. They've seen far too many preachers and far too many caricatures of preachers. and They might be resistant to the word of God. But praise goes right past their resistance. When they hear God's people singing God's praises and they see even more, they see God's praises on our faces. They might have resistance toward me, but that resistance comes down to God's song. That's one of the reasons why we need to be careful for what kind of music that we listen to and the words that are associated with it. Remember, when God gave us an ear for music, somehow he did it. I don't know how but he gave it a direct window into, our, window into our heart and soul. Be careful. Be careful. But praise, praise, especially that which is sung, builds up the people of God, and it draws those far from him. The second thing then that the passage does, tells us that praise does, is it heals the broken. Verse 3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. The praise of God serves to heal the brokenhearted. You know, a broken heart is not someone who needs a heart calf. That's not what the psalmist is talking about. Uh, a broken heart is someone who has suffered a severe emotional wound and their heart's broken. If I cut my finger, I can put a Band-Aid on it. If I cut it badly enough, I might need a stitch or two or maybe some super glue, but still going to be a Band-Aid in my future. There's no Band-Aid for a broken heart. 
No doctor can craft one, anything that will bind up the wound of a broken heart. They can give you medication that will numb the pain, at least temporarily. But they can't heal. No doctor can heal a broken heart. God can. God can. And he does. How does he heal the brokenhearted? How does he bind up our wounds? He does it by praise. The praise of God. The Bible says, heals the brokenhearted and binds up the wounds of a broken heart. It isn't an instant process, for it requires binding, much like uh, we put a bandage on a wound, and, and that facilitates the healing process. But one of the reasons the psalmist says that praising God is beautiful is because it brings healing uh, to broken hearts. When our hearts are devoted to God and to His praise, it's impossible for us to think about ourselves. Our problems tend to diminish. Our pain tends to be momentarily taken away. Praising God moves us from ourselves, our problem, our people, our griefs, our discouragement, and puts our attention on God and the great things that He has done. The classic passage is in Isaiah chapter 61. This is a passage that Jesus Christ Himself quoted during His earthly ministry in His hometown in Nazareth and said, this day is this prophecy. This promise fulfilled uh, before your very eyes, and it remains fulfilled today. This is part and parcel of what Jesus Christ is doing for you and me and in our world today. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord in the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To console those who mourn in Zion. To give them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they may be called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. You see God through praise gives us a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And I believe that's part of the way that God binds up the wounds of a broken heart. Praise of God gives us a way to keep moving and keep going. At first, the garment of praise that he gives you when your heart is broken may feel like an ill-fitting pair of new shoes. Kind of stiff. They don't move real well with me. But let me tell you something about the garment of praise. If you keep putting that on, and we do that when we lift our praises to God, whether we sing them or speak them or write them or share them with someone else in conversation or in our hearts, we just begin to contemplate on the greatness, the glory of God. We are putting on that garment of praise, and God exchanges that then for that spirit of heaviness that has us bowled down and bent over. For a moment or two, that garment of praise may seem ill-fitting, but let me tell you something. After a while, it's going to feel like your sleepy shirt. I guess I'm the only one in this church that's got a sleepy shirt. Uh, I've had it for years, several of them, in fact. Uh, you know how good it feels when you get home and you can take you out of those clothes, just slip on those, that old comfy threadbare something or another. It just fits you just right. feels so good. You wouldn't go out in public in it, not at all, but man... It feels so safe and so comfy. And so for a while, that garment of praise that God gives you may seem a little bit ill-fitting. Stay with it. Keep putting it on. 
Because after a while, it's going to be very comfortable. Fit you well. It's just what you need. Praise is beautiful then. Because it gathers God's people, even those who have wandered far from Him. Praise is beautiful because it brings healing to the brokenhearted. Thirdly, praise is beautiful because it declares the greatness of God. Uh, verse 4, He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. God is a teller. When you go to the bank and you meet that person behind the window, we call them to this day a teller. What's a teller's job? To count. Count some money uh, for your sake and for the bank's sake, uh, whether it's going out, coming in, some combination of both. The teller. God is a teller. He tells the number of the stars. What's that mean? It means he counts them and he proclaims them. He declares them and he goes on to say he calls them all by name. I have trouble calling my kids by name sometimes. In fact, it's probably my fault that we had Joni and Cody up there when it's actually Joni and Corey. Don't tell her when you see her that we had Joni and Corey. Uh... That's probably because I named my kids Kristen, Casey, Corey, Kyle, and Cody. And uh, sometimes I go down the road when I try to call them. Sometimes it's difficult for me to call all my grandkids by name. And the way that I keep it straight is I call one of my kids' name, and I, I then call out, well, this is Kristen. She has her too. You know, and just go down the list. That way I don't miss any of them. We know what it's like to meet new people and try to remember their names. For a while we've got them, but then they kind of slip away from us. And it's difficult for us to keep track of all the names that we know. And as you get older, you experience that really difficult thing when you know somebody's name as well as you know your name, and you can't bring it up. My hard dive, I think, has a virus sometimes. <laughs> Just not working. God knows the number of all the stars in the sky, and He calls them all by name, and I doubt very seriously that His name's or even remotely like the names we've assigned to them. Not too long ago, I found a dead bird in front of our church, changing the subject. It was spring. And uh, they say that sometimes during the mating season, the male birds will see their reflection in a window and think it's a rival and begin to fly at them and kill themselves. That happened. I think that's probably what happened right out here. Uh, this spring found a dead bird. You know, I never find a dead bird on the ground that I don't think about what Jesus said. And by the way, what Miss Karen sang about today, verse 29, and I didn't ask her to do that, by the way, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will. What that means is no sparrow ever dies, but what God himself attends the funeral. Not one of them falls to the ground that God doesn't know about. He goes on and says, says the very hair, hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. 
You see, when the psalmist begins to describe how, the God, how that God is intimately aware of all of his creation, how that he knows all the stars, he knows them all by name, when Jesus tells us that he knows every bird that is flying around this earth, he knows when they are born or when they're hatched out, he knows when they die, he knows the hairs that are on our head. There is not a circumstance or a situation that ever occurs in your life or in mine that our God is not intimately aware of everything that's happening. When I think about that and the six billion plus people on this planet, I'm reminded of what the psalmist said. He said, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I can't attain to it. I cannot wrap my puny brain around the fact that God knows everything going on in everybody's life all over this planet. And all the creatures and everything that he's created, even the creeping things. I tend to stomp on creeping things. But I couldn't help but think this week that I wonder if that creeping thing doesn't die saying praise the Lord. I, when I get to heaven, I'm going to figure out something about fire ants. I don't know how fire ants say it. Praise the Lord. All of his works, the Bible says, praise him. I don't know how that is exactly, but they do. As we praise God then, we think about how great and how awesome our God is. So many times in the world our God is ridiculed today. All around us are the voices that mock God and laugh at God. We need to add to those voices the voice of praise. If for nothing else, then to make sure that the light of our praises is not somehow dimmed by all of the voices who are diminishing God, mocking God. Praise declares God's greatness. I got to hurry. Praise produces gratitude and suppresses gripes. Psalm 147, verse 7 Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving, sing praises on the harp to our God. Uh, what for? Because he covers the heavens with clouds, who prepares rain for the earth, who makes grass to grow on the mountains, he gives to the beast its food and to the young ravens uh, that cry. You know, we're a people with a natural inclination to fuss a little bit and to gripe a little bit, and one of the th most frequent targets is the weather. Amen? Anybody besides me griped about all the rain we've had in the last few months? I must plead guilty. Yes, I have. But the psalmist reminds us how vital the rain is to the earth. God is the one, he says, who prepares rain for the earth. That rain that he brings makes the grass to grow on the mountains, grass that the cattle and the other beasts of the field eat. And uh, uh, the ravens get their food from that, and they're not the only ones. We do as well. If, it's quit, if it quits raining, then there's no grass growing, and uh, the beasts will all die, and sooner or later we die too. Drought is a terrible, terrible thing. It doesn't take but a few weeks without rain before we'll be saying, you know... Sure could use rain. Rain can be somewhat depressing, I'd admit it. In that sense, I guess I'm a little like Karen Carpenter, so that rainy days and Mondays always get me down. But uh, 
You know, storms bring the wind too. They bring not only the rain, but the hail and the lightning that can cause so much damage. Floods are ruinous to so much. We've seen that up close and personal in the last few weeks. You see, the psalmist describes a natural event that's part and parcel about every, everyone's life. We all know about the rain. It always comes. It's part. It's vital. And when it comes... It brings to us an opportunity. We can fuss about it and gripe about it, or we can praise God in it. It is a source sin of griping, or it can be a source of praise. And let's remind ourselves, if nothing else, from this great psalm, then that we don't really like being around people who are griping and fussing all the time, but praise, listen, praise is beautiful. I'll admit it can be a little annoying at 6 o'clock in the morning. Maybe y'all have never heard somebody really praising the Lord and getting excited at 6 o'clock in the morning. Uh, you should live a little closer to my neighborhood. <laughs> I get happy. I've been known to sing in the morning. I've tried to restrain myself over the years. I've learned, as, especially since I've got neighbors living a lot closer to me now than I used to. I can understand that some of us are not morning people, and maybe we're a little bit annoyed by those who can wake up almost praising the Lord. Listen, praise is never inappropriate. It's really not. There's always something to praise, and life constantly gives us things, and we can either let it overcome us, or we can praise God in the midst of it. Praise is beautiful then because it gathers God's people. It heals the brokenhearted. It declares God's right, righteousness and greatness. It, it produces gratitude while suppressing our natural tendency to gripe. Lastly, then, praise is beautiful because it overcomes the enemy. Verse 10, he does not delight in the strength of the horse. That's God. He takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. What he is talking about is the sound of an army and how an army goes into battle. An army goes on the battle on its horses, on, on its legs, it marches. And you could think about the sound of, of an army approaching, some of them on horses and some of them marching. And, and yet he says, God does not delight in the strength of the horse. He takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his mercy. God has no pleasure, you see, in sending his armies out to suppress evil, although he has done it in the past and he'll do it again. What he delights in is those who fear him, those who bow before him and who therefore humble themselves to cry out for mercy. Prophets spewed out on dry land preaching to a group of people uh, uh, may not seem like very much to turn a, a great city back to God, but when God prepared that great fish, swallowed Jonah, spewed him out, and he went into Nineveh then preaching the word of God, a whole city repented at the preaching of God. Don't you know God was much happier seeing that city repent than having to send an army to wipe it out? God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn to me and live, God says. I do not delight in the strength of the horses and the strength of armies. No, no, no. But I delight in those who humble themselves, cry for mercy. God gave a beautiful illustration then of how praise fits into this in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It was with a king named Jehoshaphat. It was with the enemies of Israel, the children of Ammon and Moab, and from Mount Seir, their capital. Uh, they decided to come against Israel. Their plan was to wipe them out. 
But God spoke to King Jehoshaphat and he said, King Jehoshaphat, you will not have to assemble your armies to fight this battle. I'm going to fight it for you. And so Jehoshaphat called the people together and uh, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord. He didn't call the armies to go out and fight against the Moabites and the Ammonites. He sent out the choir. And what did he tell them to do? You go out and sing. And so they did. And they sang, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. In verse 22, and when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. See, there is something about praise that drives out the enemies of God. And the devil doesn't seem to have much of an anti-praise missile. Once God's people start praising, there's not a lot he can do about it. So what he does is he tries to keep us from praising. He tries to steal our song. Don't let him win. There's power in praise. Wrapping up then this morning, every day brings things to us that can move us to discouragement or it can move us to praise. If we go into discouragement, it's a vicious cycle and it can draw us deeper and deeper and deeper into ourselves and bring our focus only on everything that's wrong and bad. But praise does just the opposite. Praise gets our thoughts and our attention off our problems, off the people causing our problems, off of our difficulties, away from our discouragement. Instead of wrapping us up in a package around ourselves, it points us to the greatness of our God. And all that he's done. A good preacher friend of mine told me a story I've never forgotten about a young couple that came to visit with them. They were so down, so discouraged. And he remarked about how it was unusual because most young couples that come in for counseling, it is the woman who's doing all the talking. But in this case, he said it was the man. And he said this. He said, there's nothing wrong right in my life. He said, everything is wrong. I can't find anything good. My job is not paying me enough. I work harder and harder and bring home less and less. Our bills are way too high. And it just doesn't seem like I have anything that I'd hoped that I would have by this time in my life. The preacher said he asked him just in a moment of clarity. He said, let me ask you a question. Do you two love each other? And they looked at each other, husband and wife, and they smiled at each other. Oh, yes. They said, we, we love each other very much. He said, I can tell you there are thousands of people in this city who would sell their big houses and give up their jobs and everything else they had if they could put love back in their life. He asked them then, he said, do you live in America? Are you Americans? Oh, yeah. He said, we live here. Kind of puzzled. <laughs> he said, just stop and look sometime at what people from around the world are going through trying to get into this country. How they're willing to risk their lives, break the law, do everything, anything in order to get in this country. And you were born here. You got it for free. Although someone else Many someone else's have paid an incredible price for that freedom. Amen? He said, has God given you that beautiful child? Oh, yes, he said. Beautiful little girl. Would you give her up for any amount of money? Oh, no. 
God's given you a priceless child. Oh, he said, don't say that you have nothing. Stop and think about all the things God has given you. When we do that, we begin to think about how good our God has been to us. It's hard for us not to smile. Maybe we might be feeling a tear running down our cheek, but we'll still smile in our hearts. Thank you, God. Let me praise you for your wonderful works. You've been good to me, good to my family. I've got my health. There are billionaires in this country that would give every dime they've got if they could only be healthy. You understand? Every day brings things to our lives that can pull us down into discouragement. But God tells us, praise the Lord. Praise Him. It'll change your perspective. It'll change your heart. And it may even change somebody around you who's in the grip of the enemy. But your praise might make a difference. Let's stand together, please.